0: Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God make this reading clear to us thank you Noel. well let's uh, let's
1: pray father we thank you for your word. we thank you lord for the freedom we have to have it read for us this morning and uh, to have it explained we thank you lord that uh, we enjoy the freedom in this country we pray this morning that you bless this word to our hearts challenge us lord and that our lives to be shaped in accordance to your word I pray this morning that you would use me, that you forgive me for my sins, and may Christ be exalted Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Well friends, it's, it's always a great opportunity, a great privilege to read God's word and to be able to share God's word always. It's always a challenge to do that as well. Well, this morning we're going to look at this topic, how to relate well to others. How do we relate well to others? life is filled with relationships, right? Uh, you get up on Monday morning and some of us, some of you will be out in the workforce, you'll be seated there with your colleagues, your friends next, next to you in the, in the workplace. Uh, some of us will meet our neighbours on the streets. Uh, we have friends that we will catch up with via Facebook or texting or Instagram, Snapchats, whatever it is. Boy, oh boy, life is filled with relationships. We Have seen so many people today, when they are in the train, or perhaps even at home, all the time they're with their phone? It's all happening, isn't it? It's all happening. It's communication. going from one place to another, and we are multitasking at the same time. We're trying to communicate at the same time. We're looking at our iPhones or whatever phones you might be using, Android, and it's all coming in. These messages keep coming in all the time. We're in a world of communications, I'm sure. I'm sure the young people here, you'd agree with me, right? You communicate all the time, almost, I won't say 24-7, but it's a world of communications. We are building relationships. We're talking to people because we are wired that way. We need people, well, not neighbor, we want people around us. We need to communicate with one another because that is life. Imagine life without relationships. What would it be like? One word, perhaps boring. Right? Maybe it's not. I think it might be boring. Imagine life without relationships, where you don't have to talk to anybody, or you're just by yourself. You don't have any friends to communicate with, no family, no loved ones. I think it will be pretty boring. I think it will be really boring. right? So we catch up with friends. We catch up with people over coffees, over chai latte. I've never had a chai latte in my life. Have you ever had chai lattes? Do you like it? Oh, I see a few people saying yes. Well, yesterday I met, me at a chai latte. Tanya, Shane, Rose and myself, we caught up at the shopping center. And first time she said, Dad, you like a chai latte? I said, all right, I'll have one. It was not bad. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. And the point is that we meet up together. We chat with one another. We have great times of communication. It's so important. So how do we relate to others? You see, this morning... We continue on this little mini-series on godliness, what does it mean to be godly? And friends, this morning let's rejoice, because we are made godly, not because of what we do, or, or what we say, or we act, but we are made godly in Christ Jesus. We can't make ourselves godly, you can't do it, right? We are made godly in Christ, and friends, this morning I want us to rejoice because we are united to Christ, as we see in Colossians chapter 3, it's a It's a fantastic chapter actually, the first four verses is packed with uh, Christological statements there. And it tells us that we are complete in Christ because we are united to Christ. And the Bible tells us that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and that we are united to Christ by God's grace alone, through our faith alone. And this is because of the atoning work of Christ alone. And I want us to focus a little bit of our union with Christ because the passage that we're going to look at today, uh, which is our text verses 11 to 14, flows from its immediate context. It flows from a context of our relationship with Jesus Christ, of our relationship that we have with the new self that God has given to us. And so we have this thing, what we call in theology, the are union with Christ. It's nothing major, but it's a very simple thing as well, but it's also a very profound thing. And that is that we are united to Christ, what people call our union with Christ. And in a um, in systematic uh, theology book, Professor uh, Wayne Grudem defines union with Christ in the following way. He says, Union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are in Christ. Christ is in us and we are like Christ and we are with Christ. I mean, this is solid stuff that we see here. It's a very packed statement. We are in Christ. Christ is in us, we are like Christ, that is, we don't become Christ, we can never be Christ in ourselves, but we imitate Christ, and we are in Christ. Very powerful stuff that we have here, right? Our union that is in Christ. And Robert uh, uh, Litham, in his book, I've started to read this book, it's a fantastic it's a little book, uh, but it's packed with theology. On union with Christ, he says this, uh, he says this about... Uh, if you don't have that book, I encourage you to get it. It's, it's a good little book. Union with Christ is right at the center of the Christian doctrine of salvation. The whole of our relationship with God can be summed up in such terms our union with Christ. And right in further, he states, Union with Christ is one of the central theological principles of the Christian faith. It is It is so powerful in the scriptures, it has profound implications. And so those who are in Christ enjoy all the spiritual blessings of God in their lives. We have a status before God. We are sons and daughters of the king. Yes? Never never put that down, friends. When God has redeemed you, he has made you his son... And he has made you his daughter. And you are precious to him. Our self-identity, our self-esteem is bound in Christ. Never put yourself down. Recognize always when you feel low, when you feel depressed, when you feel the mental agony in your life that says you are a nothing. Remember that you are someone in Christ. Because he loves you with an everlasting love. And so we have a status before God. Like the Apostle Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. And similarly, Paul wrote this: the gospel mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. And this glorious mystery, what is it? In Colossians chapter 1, we see it. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to be saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches or the glory of this mystery. What is it? What's the mystery? Aha. <laughs> Which is Christ in you. It doesn't stop there, friends. The hope of glory. Do we need to see that? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, we may live in a life when everything seems so hopeless. The world, we might say, is in a hopeless state. But we, in Christ, have this eternal hope that is in Jesus. A hope that brings us out from the, the pit of hopelessness. And puts us on a new direction. That gives us hope, a meaning and perspective to life. Is your life directionless? Are you just kind of floating? Oh, you float, but you know what I mean. Like, just kind of growing along? Or is there a purpose and a hope and a direction in your life? <laughs> Think about it. See, Christ in us and we are in Christ. And so we see this, this mutual relationship. Christ in us We in Christ and by virtue of this mutual relationship of Christ in us and we in Christ, our union with Christ, we receive all the blessings of God. All the blessings of God is showered upon us in Christ. And that is rich, that is deep, that is personal, that is profound, that is so powerful. I think we will spend hours here trying to unpack it. That is how deep God is committed to his people in Christ. In conversion, our old self died, was laid aside with its impulses and drives and habits, and a new self was created by God. I know that. When I became a Christian, for the first time, I began to realize that the things that I was doing was not right. And I battled with it, and I still do battle with sin, don't we? Or have you conquered all sin that you are absolutely Mr. Perfect and Miss Perfect and Mrs. Perfect? I don't think so. Come and see me. We'll have a chai latte and we'll talk about it. (laughs) Not really, but the, the point is, the point is this. The point is this, friends. You see, in Christ... Oh, we struggle. We we know we know that. And for the first time, when I was a believer, I thought, "Wow, man, this what I'm doing is not right." And I continued to struggle as a new Christian, battling these sins. But I knew that in Christ, I'm a new creation, the new birth, being born again. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seventeen. And so Paul says that our lives are hidden with Christ. And we touched on all of these things in our previous talks and we united to Christ. Now comes the question, how does our union with Christ shape the way we relate to others? It is one thing to say I have all this theology. It's one thing to say my hope is built on Christ alone. But how does it actually work out in practice? Right? How does it work out in practice? How does it shape our growth in godliness? You see, last time we noted that that we are to do something because of our new nature in Christ. We are to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And uh, Paul gives us, in fact, five things that we are to put away. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, covetousness. Paul says you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now do something else. Uh, You must put these things away as well. And that's, uh, that's the other list. I'm just going very fast through this because we have covered this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene or abusive language, and lying to one another. Do not lie to one another. The reason of, to, to put these things away is stated in verse 10 that you have put on your new self. And Paul is using a clothing metaphor here in this section. It's very clear. It's taking off and putting on. We take off our garments and we put our new clothes on. Right? It's taking off the old and putting on a clean one on. And so we notice this contrast here of taking off and putting on in chapter 3 verses 9b and 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge the image of its creator. And so today as we continue this section of scripture I want to focus specifically on this passage. Here in, in Colossians 3:11 to 14, we are a new creation, we are a new humanity, and Paul says in verse 11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So, let me explain this. It was a very tough call to the Christians at the time. There were racial barriers between the Jew and the Gentile. Okay? There were also religious barriers between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. There were also cultural barriers, and we note this with the mention of the barbarians and Scythians. And I was looking at this text and saying, who are these barbarians and, and Scythians? What, what are they? Are they some weird things, or what is it? No, they, they basically refer to, they, these are two groups of people who, the commentators would say that they are uncultured, in, in one sense. And the Scythians were considered the lowest class people at the time. And so just like today in some countries you have the caste system, right? Where some people are looked down upon, don't they? Now they can't come up your house, they can't sit at your table because they are of a lower caste. And Paul is saying here something that is so important for us. There were also social barriers between the slaves and the freemen. And these barriers divided them into social, racial, religious and cultural classes. And now Paul says this. And this is it. The best thing is that in Christ they are no longer a divided people. That is in Christ they are one new humanity in Christ All are one in Christ. And the point is that in Christ, there are no barriers between people groups or social groups. For example, here at St. Stephen's, we are an international church family. What a blessing that is. Uh, In fact, someone said to me a few weeks ago that we should rename ourselves, something to consider, (laughs) probably never happens, but that's fine, to be called St. Stephen's. International Presbyterian Church. I kind, of, I kind of like that, you know. That's an international flavor to it, isn't it? St. Stephen's International Presbyterian Church. You see, because we are a church that's comprised of various nations and cultures. I mean, you see this guy standing here. I mean, twenty years ago, you had a Scottish minister here. Right? So you should have never, ever thought that there would be a guy from Sri Lanka, an Asian guy, standing here. As senior minister of this congregation. We had dreamt of it 30, 40 years ago, perhaps never. Right? We have our second minister, John. Look, look at our congregation here. We're at St. Stephen's. I counted nearly 16 people groups. I just ask for forgiveness if I have forgotten anyone. Right? Please. It's not done on purpose. So we have Australians here. We have Sudanese. We have Fijians. We have Indians. We have Sri Lankans. We have Chinese. We have Koreans we have Singaporeans, we have South Africans, we have Egyptians, we have Dutch, I'm married to a Dutch lady, so I can't forget the Dutch. <laughs> I'll be <in> big trouble. <laughs> Malaysians, Scots, Vietnamese, Indonesians, and we have those who are from Hong Kong. Now, have I forgotten any? Uh, oh, fr- oh, we have French. Boy, how can I forget that? We have French. Exactly. Right? Right, we have a French person. I mean, that that makes it 17. 17, perhaps, uh, maybe there's some other nationality, maybe 18, up to 17 nationalities represented in this congregation. What a blessing that is, eh? What a joy that is. Is it something to be celebrated. What a beauty it is to have ethnic diversity and harmony in our church. Such an ethnic diversity and harmony reflects the power of the gospel to all nations. It is something to be celebrated. You see, when Christians of different ethnic origins live, relate, work and worship and serve Christ together, they are a testimony to the power of the gospel of Christ. In Christ... We are one no matter what ethnic background one may come from or what cultural or social background we may come from. You see, whilst we respect and should be sensitive to people's cultures and ethnic groups, which is important, certainly in Christ we are one family and everyone has equal standing in Christ, right? Everyone has it. The gospel has the power to destroy racism in the church. No one ethnic group should see itself as better than another. You can't do that. <laughs> it's simply not on. Because we are in Christ. Christ is all and in all. As one writer puts it this way, there should be no cultural snobbery in the church. No cultural snobbery in the church. What a beautiful picture here on earth. Of what we ought to expect in heaven. Remember this is a wonderful text. And I looked and there before me was a great multitude. That no one could count from every nation. Tribe, people and language. Standing before the throne and before the lamb. And they were wearing white robes. What a picture this is. I mean 16, 17 different groups mentioned here. All of us from these different groups we may speak two languages. Some of us may speak three languages. Imagine if all of us start singing our hymns and songs in the language that we would like to sing in. Wonder how that would go. Perhaps we should try that one day. We're going to be a foretaste of what it would be like in heaven, isn't it? And so uh, let's keep going on. Paul says, "Therefore, as God's chosen people, so we are all one in Christ. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved." Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and so forth. So here, as a new community in Christ, Paul goes on to use the clothing metaphor to show what we should put on so that we will relate well to others in our new status in Christ. We are to clothe ourselves with new garments in keeping with our status in Christ. But before we look at this list, let me remind you of three things that Paul says here. We are God's chosen people, called and chosen by Him. We are made Holy, set apart for him. And we are loved by God with an everlasting love. What a blessing, what a joy, what a comfort. And so in the light of such blessings, Paul gives us a wardrobe list. Now, all of us will have some kind of wardrobe, right? I mean, um, our houses now have walking robes. I only knew one robe I had, a little cupboard in my bedroom in Sri Lanka, that was it. Never heard of walking robes and so forth until we came here. So, we are, your walking robe, you go through it and you see all oh, your clothes. Uh, if you're married, you see one side is yours, the other side is your wife's. One is longer in uh, well, this man. <laughs> one has more than the other. And so, but so you walk through your walking robe and you look. Oh, okay, this I'm going to wear this. This combination, this shirt, this. Okay, so you set everything right for the. The next morning, so that when you go in a robe, you've got everything set out there. You know exactly what you're going to wear the next day. Anyway, stop. Right. The point is, the point is we put on these garments, and yeah, that's it. We have a heavenly wardrobe that is given to us here, in, in a sense. Right. It's a heavenly wardrobe with garments that God wants us to put on in our lives and relation to our new status in Christ. So the first one that we should put on is compassion. In fact, there are five mentioned here, and then one which binds up the whole thing together. Okay? It's like a belt. We're going to look at these these five things very quickly this morning. One is compassion. Now, look at your text there. It says that very clearly, doesn't it? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, uh, clothe yourselves... Uh, With compassion, clothe yourself, put this clothing on, compassion, it literally means bowels of mercy. Where it takes the bowels as the seat of our emotions, where we we may feel so much of our emotions, so that we may say, I just feel so sick in my stomach. I have a sickening feeling. Have you ever had that? Have you been so moved that you feel just absolutely sick in yourself? That's the kind of feeling, the emotions have, have taken control here. It's it's having tender mercies from deep within. You see, compassion is entering into the passion or suffering of others. It conveys the idea of sympathy. It conveys the idea of compassion. And it is setting aside our own concerns and entering into the pain of another. Just this past week, I was reading a, a, a newsletter that was sent to me from Barnabas Fund. I, I just put it down because it moved me so much to hear of the suffering of God's people in Syria. Have you thought about that? In South Sudan, in Nigeria, in other places in the world. It made be sick because I thought, wow, our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering so much compassion for people in this world. I know some of you have gone overseas and served in countries because you have been moved by compassion to see the suffering of other people. Do you see little children sometimes on your TV screens? and Does it move you? You see, we have so much food. On Friday mornings when I go to my growth group, bless those ladies and who are there, they always bring cakes. They think I need cake. They bring biscuits. They look after me well. They try to serve. this, And sometimes I just have to say, no, I just, you know, I need to be careful. Anyway, the point is, and I eat it sometimes because I really love it as well. It's a dangerous thing to put chocolate cake before me because I'll just eat it. The point is, the point is this, friends. And sometimes I say no. And I said to them last Friday, how sad is this? We have a table here with food. And I think about people around the world who love to eat it. And yet i saying no to it. You see? Compassion. Kindness. One writer says that the second thing, that this word was used to describe wine, uh, which, which, was, which has grown mellow with age and lost its harshness. If you drink wine, you know, if you take the new wine, it will be very harsh to your lips or to your tongue. But if it's a long process in that wine thing, it becomes very mellow. It's something like that. It loses its harshness. Kindness is an expression of love. And it seeks the welfare of others. It is more than just a random act of consideration. It is a constant readiness to offer help. It is an act of love. Kindness is shown by caring for someone, visiting someone, helping someone, sending a card with a note of encouragement, speaking a kind word. It is shown by practical actions. Cook a meal for someone. Don't just say, and when I say this, I'm preaching this to myself as well. So, don't think I've got this all right, okay? It's easy to say, it's just me. Ah, you're going through a real trouble? Hmm, very good, yeah. Well, I will pray for you, okay? See you later. <laughs> what about saying, yeah, can I, can I cook you a meal? If I was to cook you a meal, it will be a solid curry and you'll enjoy it. Right? So, you know, <laughs> test me out on that, that's fine. <laughs> can I bring you a meal? Can I do something for you? It's easy to say, I'll pray for you. I mean, Let's pray, please, we need to pray for people. That's the easy cop-out thing, isn't it? Ah, I will pray for you. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you very much. But you know the person is struggling. You know the person is going through a hard time. You know that person doesn't even have time to go to the shop and do, uh, to buy the food or, or to cook a meal and is going through a real rough time. Wouldn't it be nice to say, yeah dear, I brought you a lasagna or something. Enjoy it. Their kindness. See. Friends, I want us to exercise kindness, you know, look around ourselves, look around for students in this congregation, look around for people who have different nationalities here, who don't have family and friends in Australia. How hard is it for them on a Sunday? <laughs> when I was in Geelong, I've said this many times, i again, when I was in Geelong studying there, you know, I got a scholarship to come to Australia, I went down to my basement in my room, it was the most depressing thing for me ever in my life to stay in a basement in a room, It was so lonely. There were times I called Sri Lanka and said, I'm coming home. I'm not staying here in Australia. I don't want it. My parents said, persevere, son, persevere. And there were church members who invited me home to their homes on the Lord's Day. And I was so thankful. Because Sunday was the loneliest day for me. And there were other people who said, come home, have a meal. Irish people, and I ate soups. And man, I just enjoyed it. (laughs) <laughs> but they are care, they are care. And one day for Easter Sunday, I heard a knock on my door in the basement room. I said, Who is this? Easter Sunday morning. And here was this lovely Christian couple, an old couple, come down the steps. They brought this massive Easter egg. I'm serious, this size. I've never seen an Easter egg in my life that size. That size. And said, This is for you for Easter. I took a photo of it send it back to my family and said, that's a solid Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoyed it in my office, in my room. I'm studying, I'm working, 4 o'clock in the morning, come home. Eggs, you. <laughs> you see, people did it. They, they, they showed, they showed their love, they showed their, their, uh, their actions. There's, the, let's keep moving. There's humility. To, to the Greek mind, there was no such thing as humility. It was all about pride. But Paul says here, practice humility. Humility manifests itself in our relationships to God and to others. It is an inner attitude which works its way in how we deal with others, looking at others better than ourselves. And then there is gentleness. You see, when we speak of a gentle person, we're not speaking of someone who is reticent or fearful. Gentleness, Jerry Bridges defines it this way. Gentleness is illustrated by the way we would handle a carton of exquisite crystal glasses. Have you got crystal glasses in your home? How do you handle them? Do you take great care? Oh, I thought somebody said just doing that. You wouldn't do that, would you? Do you take great care of your crystal glasses? It is a recognition that the human personality is valuable but fragile and must be handled with care. Do we see each other that way? To handle each other with care? Gentleness. It's, uh, it's not a weak thing. It's being considerate. Paul says... Let your gentleness be evident to others. So, when is the last time you prayed for gentleness in your life? I, I'm asking myself as well. <laughs> when did I pray for gentleness? Then other thing is patience. Let's keep going on. It's long-suffering. You see, we can, we can lose our patience, can't we? Especially on the roads. Do you lose your patience on the road? Right? We might be very patient people, but test it on the road.
0: <laughs>
1: you have a car that comes in front of you and indicates just a second before they turn right. And you're standing behind you, especially when you're driving down Riverdale reverse road and you're stuck behind a tram and a car. Man, 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 what, what were you thinking? And to consider it for the people behind you, you get so impatient. Let's say, be patient. Right. Five items, friends, we are called upon to do. I'm not, I can expand more, but I'm not going to. And here it comes as the ultimate from the ultimate and best tailor God himself that he wants us to put on in our lives. And these were perfectly worn by Jesus. And then the text goes on, bear with each other, forgive one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave. See, are you willing to forgive? Remember that parable that Jesus said, the great parable in Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, you can go home and read it. The man who was forgiven most, did he show forgiveness to the other man who came to him? He was forgiven by his master. And then this man who owed a little bit of money, this guy showed no forgiveness, no grace. You see, the point of the parable in Jesus' teaching, this parable was very clear. Forgiving others is rooted in the fact that we have been recipients of the extraordinary mercy, grace and compassion and forgiveness from God. He has forgiven us all our sins, once and for all, cleansed, going, going, gone at the cross. Is God patient with you? Patient with me. He's forgiven us, hasn't he? And those who have experienced God's forgiveness must exercise that forgiveness. Don't keep bitterness. Uh, Someone said this about bitter people. When you don't forgive, this is what happens. Bitter people are archaeologists. I never thought of bitter people as being archaeologists. Always digging up the past. If you talk to someone who is bitter, they will continually revisit painful circumstances from their past. They can't move on. They're always, they always return back. They're always stuck in the past. And it goes like this that's the day that my life was ruined. That's the day that my hope was destroyed. It's been a funeral since that day. Because you're an archaeologist and living in the past and you're keeping bitterness and so and so did this to me and that to me and you're stuck there. Forgive. And if the person doesn't, you, someone has said to me once, oh well it is for you to say to forgive, what if the other person doesn't forgive me? I've said to the people, when they say that to me, you leave it in the Lord's hands. You give the forgiveness, but the other person deals with it, right? So as we conclude this morning, friends, Paul says this in verse uh, 14, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love, it's like that belt. You know, you put a belt around all those clothes, binds everything around you. What a, what a wonderful list here. How well to relate to others by showing compassion, by being kind, by being humble, by being gentle, by being patient, by binding all these things in love. And then by being tolerant and bearing with each other and forgiving each other even as Christ has forgiven us. And when we put on these things by the power of Christ, they will make a difference in how I relate to you and how we relate to others. These things will make a difference in our relationships in the church, in the home between husband and wife, between parent and child, between brother and sister, in the workplace, in our society, and in the world. What a list of wardrobe items, eh? I pray this week. We we'll put them on as God gives us the ability to do so. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We know we fail miserably in some of these things. Only you can search our hearts this morning. Only you can give us the, the power to live such lives. I pray this morning you bless us as a church family. Bear with one another to love one another. Compassionate and kind and all of these things that we looked at. In our relationships, in the church family in our homes, uh, in our in our work situations, in, at uni, at school, whatever it might be, Lord. Uh, help us live such lives that makes a difference in the way we relate to others because of what you've done for us in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.